The EU Horizon 2020 funded Fusicus project is presenting this podcast series about nature-based solutions. The word Fusicus in Greek means according to nature. And this podcast aims to demonstrate sustainable measures inspired by nature that reduces the risk of extreme weather events in rural mountain landscapes. Hey, welcome everybody back to another Fusicus podcast on MBS. Um, my name is Josh, and I'm joined here by my colleague, Marcelian. Marcelian, hi, are you ready to learn something more about NBS today? Yes, I'm very ready. All right, let's let's get started. We're, Marcelian and I are your hosts today, and as always, and we're students of the Chair of Strategic Landscape Planning and Management at TUM. So today, our topic is governance of NBS. For those of you who may not be familiar with the term yet, MBS stands for Nature-Based Solutions. And today we're joined by Anna, Juliet, and Joanne. They're from the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis, and they all work in this area of MBS governance. So Marcelian, do you wanna kick us off with the first question? Yep. All right, so our first question would be uh, maybe Anna, could you please tell us a little bit more about what you do related to NBS governance? So thank you. Thank you for your question. So um, what we work on uh, is linked to the exploration of uh, policy instruments and uh, governance innovation uh, with the aim of uh, enhancing the effectiveness of uh, both the design and implementation of natural-based solution. So governance is a broad uh, term and concept, but it encompasses all the relationships between uh, the different actors and stakeholders that are involved from the very beginning of uh, a a natural-based solution uh, uh, planning uh, down to its implementation. So in our work, we have been analyzing what are the different enablers um, for uh, uh, implementing natural-based solution, enablers that are institutional, legal, uh, regulatory, social, and economics. Uh, We are working also um, on the concept of the barriers, what are the main barriers uh, to NBS uh, implementation at different scales from the local to the national, to the European one. And and finally, um, we are uh, also um, working in a policy business forum uh, where experts on natural-based solution are invited to discuss uh, about uh, opportunities and ways to overcome barriers and uh, transform policies for natural-based solutions. Okay, this next question I'll direct towards Juliet. If you could tell us about the different stages of an MBS project, if you could walk us through that. I know it's already been touched a little bit, but also could you tell us about some of the factors that are indispensable for MBS projects to be initiated? Yeah, so on the the different phases of of nature-based solutions and and its life cycle, we kind of broadly um, identified a few phases there which we thought were helpful for um, identifying governance enablers and barriers. And the way we distinguished between these different phases were 
uh, you have everything that's kind of before an actual NBS um, emerges onto the political agenda, and we call that kind of the preconditions. So anything that's external to the NBS, um, such as political climate or environmental conditions and so on. And then you have the initiation phase, which is from the moment when the NBS does emerge on the political agenda, which is then followed by the planning and the design. And we uh, called the phase when the NBS is actually launched or, you know, when you start building it um, as the implementation phase. And finally, anything that happens after the project is completed and the NBS is implemented, um, we qualified as monitoring and, and maintenance. So these are the broad phases that we had identified. Um, and we worked on three case studies. Uh, one of them was in Nocera Inferiore, where nature-based solutions were implemented for um, reducing landslide risk. We also worked, um, actually, you're probably quite familiar with this one, the ESER case, um, so the river restoration there in Munich. And our third case study was in China, in Wolong, uh, where we focused on a reforestation um, project to reduce landslide and floods. So we looked across these three cases and, and as I said, we're interested in, in looking at what actually caused the nature-based solutions to go from a, to, to take off uh, in a way. Um, and despite the fact that all of the three cases were obviously very context specific, we found that there were some commonalities across the three cases. Um, what we found is, for example, that uh, you do need uh, an earmarked budget or you need funding um, for an MBS project to get off the ground, that's kind of indispensable. Um, we also found that the occurrence of a disaster, so whether it was a landslide or, um, or a flood, a big flood, or even a modeled disaster, so knowing that a, a disaster would follow down the line in the future, was often kind of what um, opened a window of opportunity. And that window of opportunity was then exploited by um, pro green or pro-NBS pressure groups um, and their champions that then, you know, found um, the opportunity to advocate for a green solution. Uh, so, for example, in the ESA case, we found that the mayor at the time, um, who was from the Green Party, strongly advocated for an NBS. So he was a clear, um, what we call a, a champion in advocating for an NBS. So similarly and, and related to that, we also found that political will is indispensable to, to get uh, an NBS started. Um, and played a key role in initiating an NBS. Inclusive stakeholder engagement from the early stages was also very critical, but I'll let Anna say more about that in a second. But these at least were some of the patterns that we found. All right, so you have mentioned before that planning is one of the phase of NBS project. And, and the question is, I wanted to know um, who is actually responsible for the planning of an NBS project and how? The collaboration amongst different actors plays a role here. Collaboration is crucial for uh, nature-based solution planning. And why so? So it is critical because uh, nature-based solutions have multiple benefits. And uh, they contribute uh, not only to mitigate for climate mitigation, but also to climate adaptation, disaster risk reduction, biodiversity preservation, and that's exactly one of the main reasons why we needed to join forces and collaborate for the success of these uh, uh, solutions and of their implementation. So um, in, depending on the institutional frameworks adopted by different countries, uh, different authorities may be in charge of planning nature-based solutions. 
Um, so it can be that there are authorities at the regional level uh, that plan uh, nature-based solution as part of broader urban or uh, water management or risk reduction planning. Uh, but then the measures themselves are implemented uh, uh, at the local level. So the local technical offices uh, typically play a key role. But what we found out in our analysis of the different case studies um, that Juliette mentioned already before, is that uh, what really was making the difference in the case of natural-based solution was collaboration between authorities that normally do not work together. So uh, this means authorities uh, in charge of uh, different uh, topics. Uh, it can be natural park management, um, it can be urban planning, it can be water management. Um, so these authorities, or even sometimes we had cases of waste management authorities critically involved in natural-based solution planning and, and implementation. So the fact that these authorities kick-started the collaboration that was not only across different topics, but also often across different sectors. So NGOs, the private sector, can be involved in NBS implementation. And Joanne will talk more about that. <clears throat> and then also it was important the collaboration across uh, different uh, um, scales. So authorities at regional uh, level, but also at uh, municipal and local level. So another key ingredient as anticipated by Juliette for the success of nature-based solution is the co-design and stakeholder engagement um, really with the true uh, participatory processes where um, different views are accommodated uh, but also where actors uh, um, that want to push forward the nature-based solution agenda are empowered to do so. So in the options for natural-based solution, we have different uh, uh, set of, of measures that can be presented and discussed. And, um, and this discussion are really aimed also at solving possible conflicts that may emerge because there are different actors that are um, that want uh, different type of measures, for example, to be implemented. And this is why uh, reaching uh, compromise uh, solutions uh, is also very, very critical and negotiating this compromise solution and having good facilitators in place that help uh, to reach this compromise is, uh, is critical. Now let's come to a million dollar question that everybody is interested in. The question is, are MBS more expensive than gray measures? And I would direct this one to Joanne. Yes, thank you. This, this is the million dollar question, or maybe billion or trillion. Um, first, not necessarily are MBS is more expensive than gray measures. Um, in, in the case that we've heard about earlier of landslide mitigation in Italy, it turned out actually that the nature-based solution was less expensive than a gray measure. Uh, but if we turn, for example, to renaturalizing a river, even moving assets out of, out of the flood risk areas, 
uh, then we can find that the nature-based solution can, of course, be a lot more expensive than building levees. Um, but it's, it's essential to look not only at, at the efficiency of the nature-based solution, I mean, how effective are our, our natural, natural measures for preventing floods or landslides. And, and I should say that this is a critical question and there's a lot of uncertainty around this and there needs still to be a lot more data generated on their efficiency. But secondly, it's very, very important to look across the benefits. We can't just look at the costs, of course. And as was mentioned earlier, a nature-based solution in contrast often to a gray solution has multiple benefits. In the cases I've just mentioned, benefits beyond just preventing the landslide or reducing the flood risk to in fact furthering biodiversity, to uh, restoring ecosystems, to climate mitigation. And even as we saw in the Ezer case to, to providing a lot of urban recreation. Now I'm jumping to the next question. Basically, how can a project get financial support? And then even throughout the project, like the monitoring phase, like, like was mentioned, and, and the maintenance phase, who finances that part as well? Yes, <clears throat> thank you for that question. Um, it's important to recognize that most projects that we have seen in the past on nature-based solutions are publicly funded. In fact, estimates put it at about 75%. And of course, public financing comes through taxes or it comes through borrowing, for example, by governments issuing bonds. Um, but it can also, nature-based solutions can also be privately funded, for example, through user fees or, or even private capital. And you're right to ask, um, ask about the full process, the monitoring and the maintenance, because we do find that, that even with gray solutions, that cost estimates uh, sometimes don't adequately take account of the long, long-term maintenance uh, that's involved. But I, I want to emphasize that that's not just the case for nature-based solutions. Uh, that's also the case for, for many, many uh, gray infrastructure projects. This is just a follow-up question, um, because you said that project, NBS project is usually publicly funded. Um, can the business sector support NBS finance? Yeah, this, this is just a really important question. Um, in fact, according to recent estimates by UNEP, uh, there's a huge financing gap in financing nature for what we have, are putting in today and what we need. They estimate it at around, uh, in, in dollar terms, 4.1 trillion that we will need by 2050. Um, it's fairly clear that the public sectors will not be able to fully finance what is needed. Uh, so how do we get businesses, how do we get private financing into nature? Um, well, there's now three business models. One, we can say, okay, uh, in some cases, the nature-based solution actually brings revenue for a private investor or reduces that private investor's costs. And I can give you two examples here. One is a hydropower plant um, that 
finds that its reservoir is silting and it can plant trees on a neighboring slope, reduce his, the silt and reduce the dredging costs. Uh, so it's in the interests of that private hydropower plant to invest in an NBS. Another quite simple example is that a, a business firm decides to build a nature park uh, and charge admission. So it has a revenue stream to pay back its investment. For these kinds of, of investments, uh, the private sector and private banks, as well as public banks, like for example, the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, is quite willing to loan funds. And a lot of funds can come from those sources. Um, but for those other cases, for instance, where there is not a revenue stream or not a revenue stream sufficient to cover the costs of the investment, we're going to need some public support. And there's another business model called blended finance or public-private partnerships where the public sector combines with the private sector in financing an NBS. And finally, the third business model is what we've probably all heard of. It's the uh, environment, social and governance, ESG investing. Uh, there is a lot of firms, um, corporations who are recognizing that they also need the environment to exist and are quite willing to put funding, even if it does not increase their bottom line, they're willing to put funding into nature-based solutions. And let me just say one more thing before I close here, that it's critically important to attract more investment, private investment into nature. And it's equally critically important to divest, to, uh, to give incentives for firms to stop investing in what's being called nature negative projects. Okay, we're coming to the end of our time here. And as a last question, uh, just to sum up, what have you all learned from uh, some of these MBS projects, either failures or successes, that could help mainstream MBS implementation and possibly increase their public acceptance? Yeah, I mean, there's so much we've learned, so it's hard to sum this up. But I, I think the first key point to highlight is definitely the one that Joanne just mentioned on how we can kind of start to close the nature funding gap and, and really divest from nature negative activity. So for me, that is definitely a very important take home message, which is also a very tricky one and complicated one to, to, um, to address. Um, but apart from that, I definitely think that the inclusion of stakeholders can make or break it when it comes to, to nature-based solutions. Um, and we've known of quite a few instances where NBS projects were abandoned because stakeholders either could not agree on them or, or did not want them. Um, and also of other cases, on the other hand, where the fact that stakeholders were engaged inclusively from the beginning uh, was the actual key to success. So we have both of these sides um, that, that we've uh, experienced. And I, I think that um, Anna mentioned this previously, but the fact that conflicts are sometimes inevitable and that uh, some stakeholder views will just not be reconcilable and, and some of these uh, conflicts are very deeply set sometimes. So I think acknowledging that and the fact that sometimes the best you can hope for is a compromise or how we call them a, a wicked solution um, is, is sometimes yeah the best you can get to. 
Um, and in relation to that, we also uh, found that hybrid solutions are often needed, although we would wish <laughs> for solutions to be pure, or we see them as pure nature-based solutions. Um, sometimes a compromise solution will involve some structural features, um, but also um, it's, it's a slippery slope and it should not be an excuse for greenwashing. On public acceptance, and, and you asked about how we can raise public acceptance uh, of nature-based solutions, I, I think we are becoming more and more aware that education will probably be a key, um, a key element for that, um, whether that's by creating educational curricula that include um, all the different fields that need to be brought together to, to address uh, nature-based solutions, um, but also different learning innovations. We're working with another work package um, uh, in, in the project Physicus work package six uh, on creating these creative innovative learning platforms. And one of them is a serious game that we're currently developing and that will be available on our website. Okay, so this today's episode is a very good summary for a topic like NPS governance, which like Anna said before, is a very broad concept. So thank you very much, Joanne, Anna and Juliet for the time. We will upload new episodes of our podcast series next week. And until then, stay connected and be inspired by nature in your holiday challenges. See you all. Fuzikos is coordinated by NGI, and the podcast series is supervised by Dr. Odds and Graf Hamed and Dr. Gerd Lup. Are you interested in more? Please visit our website at fuzikos.eu.